Good morning at last. Um, all the people who are listening live, and I know there's a fair number of you in the chat room, we're sorry that we're a little bit late. Um, just been one sort of hiccup after another this morning. But finally, we're here. Second part of the Riddles in the Dark, quote-unquote, split special. And uh, I don't want to waste too much of your time with the fancy beginnings, so let's get right to it. My um, uh, partner in crime, the Tolkien Professor, is here with me, and I'm Dave Kale. And we'll be introducing a special guest shortly, as soon as his computer reboots. So, good morning, (laughs) Corey. Good morning. Okay, so today we are going to enter into the more speculative realm of the talk about where the films are going to be split and what's involved. As we were saying last week, to me the biggest question, of course it's an interesting question, and it's one of the primary ones it seems to me that most everybody is thinking about, about how they're going to be dividing the movies, and really, as I said, it's not just a question of that particular issue of the split, but the overall storytelling approach. What kind of story are they going to be telling in part one, and what kind of story are they going to be telling in part two, and how how are they going to handle that? Um, Well, as we said, last week we were focusing primarily on where that would happen in the Hobbit story, in the story of the journey of Bilbo and the dwarves. But, of course, as we know, there's a lot more behind that and what is much more that is there's much more to the films um than just that as uh peter jackson and company have been incorporating all of this other stuff that uh that tolkien worked into it all the backstory that he developed so um uh so basically this is what we want to focus on today which as i say is a great deal more a great deal more speculative because we, uh, you know, we know stuff that they're going to be sticking to. There's so much more for them to work with, obviously, in the fully developed Hobbit plot. The backstory stuff, we know some of the facts of what happened um, behind the scenes, where Gandalf goes and what happens and everything. But, of course, there's very little actual narrative given by Tolkien, which gives uh, the film writers a lot more freedom uh, and therefore leaves us guessing a great deal more about how exactly they're going to do what uh, Dave and I have been referring to as the whole White Council plot uh, and exactly how that's going to break down and the role that that's going to play in the two separate films. So I think it's probably best to start off with a kind of a quick review of what we do know, Um, a quick review of uh, of the basic story that we are alluding to. Of course, in the Hobbit book, Gandalf leaves them before they enter Mirkwood, and he doesn't really say why. He just says he has some pressing business off to the south that he's already you know, very late for through bothering with you people. And he goes off, and it seems actually relative... I mean, that the, 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 based on the evidence, the odds are Tolkien himself had no idea what Gandalf was going to do. Um, that that was not really, I think, firmly developed in Tolkien's mind until a little bit later. At the end of The Hobbit, we learn where he went. Gandalf, of course, comes back just in time for the Battle of Five Armies. When he gets to Rivendell, <coughs> excuse me, when he gets to Rivendell, You're right in the there. last, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I, I think I'll live. Uh, <laughs> when, when he gets to Rivendell in the last chapter, he. Um, they, they're, t- you know, they, we, we get a bit. Bilbo overhears him talking to Elrond and reporting back about what happened, and says that there was a there was a meeting of the good wizards, and that they drove the necromancer out of Mirkwood. And this is sort of part of everything coming right at the end of the Hobbit. The goblins have been almost uh, uh, destroyed in the Misty Mountains. Uh, the kingdom has been reestablished in the Mountain and Dale, and now the necromancer too is gone out of Mirkwood. So Mirkwood is going to be green with the great again, and it's. Going going to be merrier for a long time and the elves are happy and everybody's happy. Um, so that's basically all we know at first. Now, when in the sequel, when as Tolkien is writing The Lord of the Rings, 
he uh, he goes through and starts to expand on the whole necromancer plot and who the necromancer is and uh, and what is going on there. Of course, this becomes a great deal more prominent, and we learn that the, the necromancer is, of course, Sauron himself taking shape again after his defeat at the end of the Second Age uh, in uh, in the Battle of Dagorlad, and he is. Uh, and so he's, but he's, he's just working to reestablish himself. And basically one of the things that Tolkien does in revision is that he, in a sense, reduces the significance of the, of the, he, he reduces the significance of that conflict between the White Council and the Necromancer. No longer is this some kind of knockdown, drag out wizard battle where the good guys won. Instead, we're told that the Necromancer was really Sauron and he, he left Mirkwood when the White Council exerted itself. Uh, against him, but he only feigned to flee, as Gandalf says. He was only pretending. He was really planning to set up in Mordor all along, and the time had come ripe for him to actually... Um the, 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 the time had come right for him to finally move back into his old digs in Mordor, and that's where he was going. So, uh, so really... The what seemed to be, or what was initially conceived to be, as some kind of a climactic battle wasn't really, and actually this is just sort of a part of the move in the larger strategy of Sauron, uh, who is establishing himself and preparing for the War of the Ring. So, uh, so now that's that's kind of roughly what we have there. Now, of course, the other thing that we're told, which I am sure is going to be relevant to the film, is that is the, the role of Saruman in this. Saruman, of course, was the head of the White Council. Um, and uh, though Gandalf suspects later on that he had already started to go bad and was already laying his own plans, and we're told <clears throat> later on that uh, Gandalf believes that the reason Sauron or the reason Saruman had decided to go along with the rest of the council who wanted to try to kick uh, the necromancer out of Markwood. The reason Saruman went, 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 went along with that is that he, Saruman, was still searching for the ring in the, in, in the river in the river Anduin near the Gladden Fields where Isildur lost it. And he, uh, so he wanted Sauron out, basically. He, he, he thought it was to his advantage uh, to pressure Sauron to leave southern Mirkwood so that he wouldn't be so close to the Gladden Fields, and that would give Saruman an, a, a clearer field for continuing to hunt for the ring. Of course, we know that the ring isn't there and that, uh, that, that Deagle found it and Gollum took it into the Misty Mountains a long time ago, but Saruman doesn't know that. So, so that, that the way in which Saruman is himself plotting to try to open up his, you know, so this is part of, of, of a political move between Saruman and Sauron already, and Saruman trying to set up on his own, and it's also in the larger political plans of Saruman, or of Sauron, in him setting himself up back in Mordor again. So th- those are kind of the dynamics of the thing that we're, that we're given, and that's what we have to work with when we then think about how exactly are they going to be treating this in the films? Now, we do have a little bit more to work with than that in the sense that we do have these glimpses in the trailer which have given us a little bit of insight into what Peter Jackson is possibly thinking about and how he might be handling some of these things. At least we get, uh, we get the, the Gandalf and Galadriel moment. We get the, you know, a, a, some more conversations with grumpy Elrond moments. Um, <laughs> like we got in the Lord of the Rings, um, and so so basically that's sort of where we 
that's where we start off from in thinking about how, what kind of story are they going to make of this in the film, do we think? And then based on that, what do we think that they're going to be actually doing with it? And how do we think they're going to be moving forward and shaping it within the two films? Uh, uh, did I did I did I miss anything, Dave? Do you think that if, have have I have I have I blanked on any pieces of data that you can remember that I nothing nothing off the top of my head. That's about okay. all we know. It's it's not much. Um, and also, I want to welcome on the air our special guest for today, Father Roderick from SQPN and the SQPN Secrets of the Hobbit podcast, Secrets of Middle Earth podcast, and Secrets of many other podcasts and the break. <laughs> um, the, he's like a very, very accomplished podcaster, and I have no idea how he has time to do all this stuff. Um, uh, uh, good morning, or I guess good afternoon to you, Father. <laughs> Hello, Corey. Hello, Dave. Uh, thanks for having me today. It's uh, it's going to be uh, so much fun to to speculate about this whole White Council uh, stuff in uh, in the Hobbit movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I think. Thanks for joining us, Father Roderick. It's, it's always it's always fun talking uh, talking with you guys. You know, you are a, you are you are an even you are a much more experienced movie speculator than I am. So I am very interested <laughs> to hear what you have to say about this. Uh, Let's try. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess where I would sort of start this speculation process is that it seems to me likeliest uh, – that is, I, you know, I kind of like to think about this sort of big picture first and then working down. So to me, the big question is, you know, as I mentioned, in the revision process, although the actual conflict got barely a sentence in The Hobbit itself, the actual conflict between the White Council and the Necromancer, um, nevertheless, what that sentence implies was that there was a big conflict and the good guys won. Um, and as I said, in the revisions, it actually seems that to- that Tolkien kind of backs down from that a little bit or, or minimizes the actual conflict, that really it was just it was just a, a kind of a cover and nothing was actually accomplished and not too much actually happened uh, in that conflict. I'm I have to admit that I sort of start my own film speculation on this subject from the premise that Peter Jackson is not going to go in that same direction, uh, <laughs> that he is going to build up rather than build down uh, the, uh, the the conflict between the White Council and Dol Guldur. Does that seem a safe premise? Absolutely. And I think uh, another thing that Peter Jackson definitely wants to do is to um – well, this is, these two movies are chronologically the first time that we are introduced to the character of Saruman. And um, so I'm pretty certain that he has to kind of uh, prelude on, on what's going to happen in the, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. We need to see something, uh, uh, learn, learn a bit more about Saruman and why in, in, in uh, Gandalf has perhaps mixed feelings. We certainly know that Galadriel has mixed feelings about Saruman. And yes. so I can totally see him expanding on that and, and show the dynamics, the internal dynamics between Gandalf, between Galadriel, Saruman, and perhaps even some other council members that we don't know about. Um, well, Radagast, especially. I mean, he's clearly going to be involved, which is which brings in a complete wild card, as we know so little about exactly. Radagast. So, where is where is he going to be? I mean, I guess the the one moment, the only moment that we do get of Radagast in the books is the recounted encounter between Gandalf and Radagast when Radagast is sent on Saruman's uh, on Saruman's uh, 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 message to deliver his message to Gandalf. Though that alone is actually for for the sake. Of 
of this question fairly revealing if Jackson's going to follow the book there because Radagast, honest Radagast, could never possibly be 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 brought to to take part willingly in treachery. Gandalf says, uh, and so therefore Saruman had to deceive him in order to get him to participate in the trap that he's laying for Gandalf. So that tells us already sort of some things about Radagast as Tolkien conceived him and how he could be expected to act in this kind of a political situation. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, if Jackson follows up on that. I'm pretty sure, though, that we, we will not get definitive uh, proof for the fact that Saruman is a traitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they might allude to it and they might hint at the fact that there is a bit of a shadow in this person. Um, but I think they would actually probably spoil the people that are going to watch this in the future in, in chronological order, not having read the books. You want to keep that actually uh, kind of in, in the middle, whether whether or not he is – uh, working for Sauron or, or, or trying to get, well, we might see a little bit of his, his attempts to get hold of the ring, but I, I would, I would keep that really vague. I'm yeah. Kinda that... cur- I am really curious to see that because, because the, the Saruman that we see in, in the Peter Jackson films is kind of a creep. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There's never a point from the very moment he appears on screen, there's, there, it, Something seems odd about him, and actually, I guess that's true of Lord of the Rings in general. All the scenes that we see of him, he, he he's pretty clearly something creepy about him. So, uh, I'll be interested to see how Christopher Lee plays him in a non-creepy fashion, <laughs> right? Or does he go for non-creepy at all? Yeah, yeah. No, maybe I he'll think just be creepy and. Right, exactly, but sort of more vaguely and 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 un, uncertainly. Because of course, you can be creepy in a like I am ominous and wizardly kind of sense, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm evil. Uh, maybe you know. I mean, I guess I could see that. Um, but actually, you know, the, the thing that I wonder though is whether we would get a. I, you know, Father Roderick, you bring up a really interesting question which I hadn't considered. That is the He's idea. Always doing that. Yes, exactly. That that idea of chronology that you do, of sort of future chronology um, that I had not been considering at all. That I, I admit to have been thinking about this almost entirely from a post Lord of the Rings films lens, um, and kind of taking that sort of for granted. And it's interesting. I wonder if they would be thinking about it in that way, setting the film up so that it could be watched in chronological order prior to the Lord of the Rings by people who will come to it for the first time ten years from now. Um, but yeah, I mean, possibly. I'm thinking the um, the actual confrontation between Gandalf and Saruman in um, in the Lord of the Rings is is quite abrupt. I mean, he goes to talk to Saruman, and before you know it, they're fighting. So, <laughs> right. uh, I, I I could imagine that in in the Hobbit, he will take since he has more time to elaborate that we will see for instance a certain transition in the way that Saruman behaves, and so I can imagine that in the first movie. We will see the more benevolent side of him, the kind of grandfatherly, you know, gentle, looks just like Gandalf, but is slightly mm-hmm. different. And then that towards the, in, in the second movie, towards the end, we will actually get to see much more of the darker side of him. And then we, we get to guess that there's, there's something fishy about this man. And, and, and I think that Galadriel is going to play an important role in, in conveying that the, the, the concern or, or to, to, that she has some kind of a mm-hmm. presentiment that there's something there's something off with Gandalf well, with yeah. uh, with Saruman. Is that is that because of the statements in the book, Father? Because um, where it, where is it, Corey? I can't remember if, if yeah, it no, was... uh, yeah, 
Goadro herself said that if she had had her way, the White Council would have been led by Gandalf instead of Saruman. Yes. Um, and uh, Saruman also says when he meets Goadriel with Gandalf and Elrond at the end as they're traveling you – know, after the war is over and they're traveling back up north and they pass Wormtongue and Saruman on the road, um, you know, he says that uh, – he says – of Goadriel, she always hated me and schemed for your part. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there's 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 clear distrust um, between. Goadriel always struck Goadriel. me as a schemer. <laughs> <laughs> what if what if Galadriel is first very skeptical, um, talks about it with Gandalf, perhaps even in that famous scene that we see in the trailer. And then, and, and Gandalf not being convinced and, and, uh, not seeing that darker side at, at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, because after all, why would he go and see Saruman uh, in, in The Lord of the Rings if he were already convinced that, that you couldn't, you couldn't trust him? Right. And I have to admit that that's one of the things that I, I, it's one of the moments that I've always liked least in the films is how they contrived the, by the removal of Radagast. Um, mm-hmm. Which I thought made Gandalf's decision to go to Saruman utterly and indefensibly illogical in the films. Yes. You know, like here's like, okay, then the Nazgul could be here at any minute. Uh, you know, uh, the, we must take the ring to safety. Um, here's the best plan: you two run off by yourselves, and I'm going to ride hundreds of miles in the opposite direction, just on the vague suspicion that perhaps Saruman will be able to help me. I mean, it just is absolutely makes no sense at, of any kind. Um, but uh, whereas again, under the other so in in the book, when he is further removed from Frodo, it's the time is not he doesn't know how close the Nazgul are, and he's been urgently summoned by Saruman so that he actually believes that there's he has positive reason to think uh, that that it would be advantageous for him to go to Saruman right away. And he also has reason to believe that there's plenty of time uh, for him to to be able to do that and still come back. Um, it, it just it. It makes a certain amount of sense in the book, and it just makes none in the films. But I agree. They might salvage that by showing us in the second movie, for instance, how Saruman, after his initial uh, reluctance to uh, go to Dol Guldur and to do anything about the situation, to still join the the other wizards in in casting out uh, – uh, the necromancer, well, and, it, it, and thereby gaining the trust of Gandalf. Well, right. it is. They do say in um, the Council of Elrond that it was largely by the devices of um, uh, of Saruman that they managed to quote unquote drive out the uh, the necromancer. Now, of course, right. we know that he that he that the necromancer you know fainted that loss, but still, hmm. uh, I you know I actually think when we get into the discussion about how that confrontation is going to be portrayed, it's going to be interesting because. We know that Saruman's supposed to be instrumental, so to the extent that there will be a battle, it's going to be kind of a, a maybe a Saruman Sauron battle. So he's actually going to be the heroic character in that. Yeah. Well, that and I then I easily totally see. see some kind of a discussion between, <laughs> or even perhaps even at the end of the battle, uh, if, if Galadriel is there and, and Gandalf, that Gandalf turns towards Galadriel and says, "You see." He's right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. But see, you know, th- th- that's a fine line to walk because, like, do you want to end the second Hobbit film with making Gandalf look like an idiot and everybody <laughs> in the audience knowing, you know, like, like the, have the last image of Gandalf be like, oh, come on, because <laughs> everybody already knows he's a crook. Uh, but yeah, so, no, <laughs> so as I say, it's yeah, that 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 could backfire. But but no, but I, but I, I could totally see that. I mean, I agree. One of the things that that really has to happen. 
is that he has to maintain Saruman's appearance of goodness to the to the to the other characters. But what is to, to me an interesting question is to what extent is he going to reveal uh, reveal it to the audience that is in in a size or or are we even going to see is he going to have the palantir tuned in to 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 sauron yet is one question that i ask and if he does are we actually going because that would be i think one way to play it and even a very logical way to play it I, i don't think this is what tolkien was suggesting in the books but i could easily see it happening in the films where the whole you know i i basically that the 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 entire battle could end up being like a two-man con, basically, where you know Saruman saying I'm going to pretend to fight you, and Sauron saying I will pretend to flee. Oh. Um, you know, so that they could actually have have contrived it, and Jackson could show us the two of them contriving it, and have nobody else suspect, so that the tension is really invested in the dramatic irony. Uh, you know, how much more the the audience knows than the characters. Although I think in terms of um, protecting the audience that is going to watch this in chronological order for and not spoiling the big reveal that Saruman is actually a bad guy, I think there's just this, this – the moment that he lifts the cloth from the Palantir – in 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 Lord in Lord of the Rings, that would lose mm-hmm. its its entire power if you have already shown that in in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's no, why I, I, agree. I would go for a, a very subtle way. I would just imply that 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 you know that everything he says can be interpreted in two ways, and he's he he might be scheming and he might not be. You know, right. so we need right. to make. I think that that Peter Jackson has to make it believable that Gandalf puts his trust in Saruman. And and I think that that is largely going to happen during the battle where, you know, even though Galadriel had her doubts, we will see that 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 Saruman is actually helping uh, to get rid of the of the necromancer. And then later on, we will conclude that it, it's probably all been some kind of a, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, something that they schemed in but, but, right. theater. Right. <laughs> though I, I, I do think it's. It is. I mean, it is certainly within. I think the scope of the. Uh, the I, I still think it, it would be. It would be sufficiently true to the 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 Tolkien story to have Saruman be genuinely fighting against uh, Saruman, genuinely fighting against Sauron here. Uh, I think that 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 could really. Ha- that is. I don't think that two of them have to be in allegiance in in alliance yet. Um, so it, it might be that they actually do that, that, you know, or, you know, maybe at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, the, the movie, we have a hint of his, um, uh, of his going to use the Palantir for the first time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see his, you know, so that we can see him, he's already gone off on a, on a kind of a questionable road. That is, he's playing his own game independent of the council, but he's not. He's not allied with Sauron, and he's not obviously and manifestly evil yet. Um, but he's gonna. But you know, we see the sort of the the hint of you know he's he's going there. He's walking in that direction, and you know, the next time we see him, he will have you know his direct connection to Mordor set up. So we we have no precise notion of when it is that Saruman goes bad in the in the timeline of Middle Earth, do we? <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly. This is what they're what, asking in the chat room, and they they generally agree that we really have no idea. No, because it, it, it and um and I'm afraid there might be something that I'm overlooking or forgetting, but I don't think so. Don't we worry, don't know the when. Will correct you. 
<laughs> we don't know when he looks in the Palantir exactly. Um, because I'm trying to remember the comments that Gandalf makes about there and the comments in the uh, – no, it's not the appendices. It's well, in Unfinished Tales. I mean what he, what he says basically that I recall is just it, – it, it's, you know, it's a, a, a sort of a, um, a statement on the wisdom of studying too closely the arts of the enemy. Um, but, but we know that Saruman was doing that for a long time and initially, yes. and initially not – not maliciously, but rather right. uh, with with the best of intentions. So. Well, it could, 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 it could be interesting to see that now that now that Saruman is the the leader of uh, of the White Council, we could see some moments where he actually reveals to Galadriel and, and Gandalf and uh, Radagast that you know he he has a certain fascination for Sauron. Right. So um, yeah, I mean, I've been reading Sauron's, Sauron's diary here because he wants to defeat him, uh, but at the same time, there's a growing kind of a, almost. Like like osmosis happening there, where where he's he's just by studying Sauron and being fascinated, you, you can you can tell that there's a little bit of a temptation there to uh, mm-hmm. uh, consider Sauron not just as an enemy, but uh, almost like an enemy you'd like to emulate because you want to be as powerful as Sauron. Yeah. Now, of course, there are two things. There there are two factors to remember. That is. The time of his looking in the Palantir and the time of his being ensnared by Sauron are not the same. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he said, "Okay, here's the, the." I was just quickly flipping to the passage in the Two Towers where Gandalf is commenting on Sauron's use or Sauron's usage of the Palantir, and he says, uh, um, "Okay, now it appears that as the Rock of Orthanc has withstood the storms of time, so there the Palantir of that tower has remained. But alone, it could do nothing but see small images of things far off and days remote. Very useful, no doubt, that was to Saruman. Yet it seems that he was not content. Further and further abroad he gazed until he cast his gaze upon Barad-dûr. Then he was caught." So there you see is the answer. Cast his gaze upon Barad-dûr in Mordor, post-kicking of the necromancer out of Dol Guldur. So that's pretty definitive, actually, um, that he did not establish his semi-allegiance uh, to Mordor until after Sauron had left Mirkwood and set up again in Mordor. Um, but it's also equally clear from that passage that uh, – Saruman had been using the Palantir already. So I think that just as you guys were just talking about, the two different factors involved in here, the sort of stages of temptation or stages of corruption in Saruman are first his desire for his own power, his studying the works of Sauron and his desire to – his studying of the rings of power, his desire to make a ring of power of his own – his setting up for himself in Orthanc, his using the Palantir on his own to gain more knowledge and wisdom and power for himself. That's one thing which is leading him down, which is presenting him with temptations, which he is systematic, which is seems to be increasingly giving into. But then his being ensnared by the will of Sauron directly through the instrument of the Palantir. And then his uh, his his being uh, ensnared and dominated by Sauron himself. Um, so that's that that's sort of then the final stage when he actually is sort of like officially and completely evil, whereas he was just kind of on the path to the dark side prior to that. Um, so if th- if that is indeed how they play it, then. Basically, Tolkien says pretty clearly that Sauron, that Saruman and Sauron are not in league together uh, at the time of uh, Sauron's being kicked out of uh, of 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 Mirkwood. Um, 
but anyway, so uh, but but you know, will they do it that way? Will they? Will they? I mean, the Palantir. He, so he w- he would have been using the Palantir in secret, unknown, unbeknownst to any of the other of the White Council. He would have been using the Palantir for his own benefit, but not yet have been ensnared by Sauron, who might not even have his own Palantir yet, because it's the Ithil Stone, which he might not get until he goes back to Mordor. Oh, uh-huh. oh! You mean Sauron doesn't have Sauron one. might not have it yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or at least he's. I, I mean, he obviously is sort of his organization is in possession of it, but yes. maybe he's not. He's not actively using it at the moment. Yes, it may, it might be. I mean, it's that that's not very definitive, um, but um, yeah. So that's interesting. So 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 that that seems to shoot a hole in the idea that the battle uh, that the the White Council conference the Dol Guldur confrontation will be portrayed as a um, as a collaborative ruse on behalf of Sauron right. and Saruman because they're still at odds at this point. Which of, which is great from my standpoint because in my you know I never liked the the portrayal of of Saruman as in Sauron's employ. Right. Right. Um, although I wonder if that introduces a potential sort of uh, conflict for um, for the filmmakers in terms of the the non book audience, the people who are going to be confused that Saruman is is fighting against Sauron. Wait, I thought yeah. he was working for him. Well, exactly, and you know, it's it's basically Peter Jackson has put himself in a position that he now has two completely separate and unrelated groups of purists to deal with. Right? He's got the Tolkien purists as he always did but he now has the lord of the rings film purists who are going to be really upset if there is any inconsistency between the hobbit film and the lord of the rings films um so yeah he does have to keep both of those things in mind um now i i think that that's an that's a well not easily but i think that that is certainly a navigable um difficulty uh you know that he can sh- basically he can he can make the um the the Saruman character arc in the Hobbit films to be a kind of like journey to the dark side kind of character arc, basically, um, where we could possibly see a genuinely good Saruman falling into temptation and being corrupted. Um, that's one way I think it could be played. Um, and then sort of setting us up for seeing him as, you know, in the place where he is with the, with the Palantir and build me an army worthy of Mordor, which I agree that always bothered me too, because he's, he is in rivalry and not yet in service of Mordor. Um, when he's building his own army, it's not Sauron's idea that he builds an army in the books. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, I, I mean, as I said, I do think that there are ways that that can be that that can be done and done pretty well in the films, but um, but it certainly is going to be going to be an interesting and delicate question. Yes, I've I've got this strong feeling that uh, in at least in the first movie, if we see Saruman, I, I think we will. Uh, he, he'll be introduced as. Um, Mostly a, a, a gentle wizard, and and we will see his his friendly side. There is, by the way, a little bit of a. I'm not sure if it's proof, but there is an indication in I think the third production video where mm-hmm. we see this little glimpse of what they were filming in the UK at the time with mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the scenes of Saruman. And there's this one phrase where Saruman says, "Who is this odd little fellow?" And <laughs> you're made to believe that he's talking about Peter Jackson. <laughs> but what if that's a line of the of the movie actually, and it has right. to do with the way that they will introduce him, and so you know, could he be talking about Bilbo 
Um, and, 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 and meeting Bilbo, that's a little wild. Well, I'm not so sure. I have a theory about that, but we'll get yeah. to that later on. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> so do you think that like the, the white council is like secretly meeting in the private boardroom next door when, uh, when Bilbo and the dwarves are, are at Rivendell? Well, I'm, I'm thinking, but I'm not sure if we're already ready to go into the, the more, the details of how this whole story can, can take place. But let's say I would, I would, I can imagine that the story goes like this. Okay. We, uh, we see the arrival of Bill, and correct me if I'm wrong because I might be overlooking certain details, but, uh, we, we see Bilbo arrive with the, the company at Rivendell and, um, and what if – we know that there's a conversation between Galadriel and, and, and Gandalf in, in Rivendell. I assume that that is going to be in the first movie because they've shown it in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Galadriel seems to be worried. Um, you know, it seems to be – there seems to be a lot of tension in that conversation or, or worry. So what if mm-hmm. that conversation is actually, among other things, about the concerns that Galadriel has uh, about, about the role of Saruman or what, what whatever the white – um, uh, White Council is supposed to do perhaps worries about what's going on in Dol Guldur and what if this conversation takes place while the company is there and for some reason Saruman is there too or arrives in, in, in Rivendell and they both or they talk with Elrond speaking of, of, of convening with the White Council because of the things they heard about Dol Guldur and so what if Saruman in Rivendell is introduced to Bilbo. He says the, you know, the uh, who is this odd little fellow line and right. seems to be very benevolent, etc. And then Gandalf is, is sent off to go to uh, um, or, or actually, no, they they it's in Rivendell that they decide to take a, uh, to organize a meeting uh, with the White Council. But then Gandalf cannot immediately do that because he has to accompany the, the company to the to the edge of Mirkwood first and then right. We'll go to south to, for, to have the actual meeting. So in that and, way, I think that you would uh, you 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 would make the mistake of, of of having the White Council do their meeting in in Rivendell itself. Although technically that is south of of Mirkwood, more or less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but but it could introduce Saruman to to Bilbo, which I think would be interesting. <laughs> That would be interesting. I mean, it, it's true. I mean, there are there are many difficulties uh, that are going to be, and this is one of those one of the kinds of things that I think is you know sort of speaking to Tolkien purists for a second. It's one of the things which is going to introduce a, a, a large number of changes to the story because there are things that Tolkien himself didn't work out, and you know that if Tolkien himself had rewritten The Hobbit as he set out to do, he would have made some changes like this too. Because if you are raising, remember, they're not only he was not only in retrospect, you know, in in his in his retconning of his story later on, he was not only um, increasing the significance overall of that uh, that he was decreasing the the actual conflict, but increasing the significance of Gandalf's business in the south. That it became part of the overall move of Sauron's. D- working into power in the third age but at the same time he's also increasing the significance of the quest for Erebor um and that happens very early of course in appendix A when when you know with that theoretical conversation between uh Gandalf and Gimli and Frodo um when Gandalf is telling the true story of the hobbit and and 
the the backstory and everything. Um, and there, it's very clear that this is you know what was in the 1937 Hobbit a you know, a treasure hunt by the dwarves, a desire to go back and and get their treasure back from the dragon who stole it, which is really a fairly private affair. By the end of the book, it's become a bigger thing. And once we get to Lake Town, it becomes into this, like, the restoration of the life of a region and everything. But even there, it's only of regional importance. We, we're we not given the sense, because I don't think Tolkien himself had the sense, that this story was really, like, a huge pivotal story in the history of the third age of middle earth. Of course, the third age of middle earth didn't exist when he was writing the Hobbit in 1937. So when he places it within that history later on, he gives it a real prominence and shows that Gandalf, at least, even if the others are not, Gandalf is very concerned about Smaug and how he could be used by Sauron, who is clearly growing in power, and he's got to do something about that. So in other words, the quest of Bilbo and the dwarves becomes, in this sense, a big deal, is seen as a big deal by the wise. And if that's the case, then we have, uh, Father Roderick, as you were suggesting, a real conflict on Gandalf's part, where he's got a big job to do with the White Council, which is bigger than it was in, in the 1937 book. But he's also got to accompany Bilbo and the dwarves, which is more of a big deal than it was in the 1937 book, but actually makes it harder to justify his leaving them on the edge of Mirkwood, because then basically Gandalf's departure in the book becomes, in retrospect, like the Gandalf's departure from Frodo in the films. That is where he's like, well, um, I've taken you on this important quest and you're right now on the edge of the most dangerous bit. So bye. I'm just going <laughs> to leave you for no reason. I'm even going to tell you, I'm just like, have a good time in Mirkwood. Um, now again, like that happens in the book and it's fine in the books yeah. because again, it's clear that Gandalf, like his involvement in this quest is, is a, it's a really, it's a minor deal. Like the whole, the whole thing is a minor deal. Important to them, to the dwarves, um, but uh, you know, Gandalf seems to be kind of, if anything, in it for the treasure in the, in the 1937 Hobbit. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, because he he's he's owed a share of their dragon treasure, as he says. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's so, whereas again, now when 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 from the from beginning to end, we have Gandalf and Elrond and Galadriel uh, and Saruman, presumably acting as you know the caretakers of the future destiny of middle earth and taking action and, you know, in these circumstances, which are clearly concerning and have these big long-term ramifications, it puts both parts of the story in a very different position and therefore Gandalf in a really tricky place. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I'm looking at the uh, time, and I think we should start transitioning toward. Uh, yeah, we probably should. Yeah, toward the the confrontation between the White Council and Sauron, because that's what our prediction question will turn on. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about. Um, and and since we're since we're you know the the uh, the theme of these two episodes is the split, let's talk a little bit about how we envision the um, the battle if there is a battle at all, how that's going to happen. And, of course, that's what our prediction will be about eventually. Uh, and then maybe what that – the impact that has on the uh, time and chronology of the film. So, you know, in other words, uh, uh, last week, um, Father Corey and I talked a lot about – or started to get into if this is a huge battle, where are they going to stick it in these two films? It doesn't – wouldn't really fit – at the beginning of the second film, you you know you wouldn't want to risk um, uh, having it 
you know, having two battles in one film and having it sort of upstage the Battle of Five Armies, but then does it make sense at the end of the first film? And we started to see that there's – actually, we at one point we were like, boy, they just need to make three movies instead of two. There's too much content. <laughs> um, so so what do you, how do you guys think the battle is going to happen? If if a battle at all, I, I suspect Corey from having seen what you wrote on the question. I I get the impression that you're heading in the direction of no battle. Well, or I'm heading in the... battles. Oh well, and that of course, uh, that that of course is the really sobering possibility. <laughs> um, uh, and I might as well just out with this right away. That is, you know, I've I've been thinking about this, but avoiding talking about it for weeks, mostly because I've been trying to avoid thinking about it. Um, and that is the idea that they will actually conflate these things, the conflict between the White Council and the Necromancer and the Battle of Five Armies, um, that they will bring those two things together in some sense. Um, and the the I, th- that idea seems to me a little bit odd, um, but the, the main... Um, the main sort of strength of this argument or the fuel for this particular speculation comes from those comments that Benedict Cumberpatch made. Um, and Dave, you probably remember those better than I do. Um, oh, but- he was just talking about, um, he was talking about something about the Necromancer and the, the battle of five legions or something like right, that. Yeah, yeah. He didn't get the name right. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, and people, and, and so the internet immediately responded by saying, Ben, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, who you know, in his in his ignorance of the story of the Hobbit, has inadvertently revealed that Sauron will be at the Battle of Five Armies. That was yeah. that was the general sort of outcry from the internet. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it's. I mean, on the one hand, I guess I you know my my first reaction was no, no, they wouldn't do that. But then the more I think the more I think about it is that it would be a way out for them in exactly the way. Uh, that you are describing, Dave, that is the problem of multiple battles. Um, if the more of them you conflate, then the, 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 more, the more eggs you can put in one basket and the less time you have to spend doing that and, and the less distraction that there is, I can imagine this. Again, I find the idea uh, distasteful. <laughs> Highly <laughs> distasteful. Um, but and in the end, I don't really think it's going to happen. I, I would predict against it. That's not exactly what we're predicting today. But if I were asked yes or no, I would say no. I don't think they're going to conflate those two. Um, but I guess you know the real the real question comes down to what is going to be the nature of the conflict. How do we see? And this is one of the challenges. This has always been one of the challenges. And we can talk about some of the ways in which Peter Jackson responded to this challenge um, in the films, because I think we can see some patterns there. But the challenge that I'm referring to is how do you represent magic as Tolkien depicts it in his world? Because very rarely is magic depicted as an outward thing. I mean, the conflict between you know, one of the pieces of evidence that I think is sort of most obvious um, and where Peter Jackson takes a very kind of simplistic approach to dealing with this is the confrontation between Gandalf and Saruman at Orthanc, which was cut out from the theatrical version of the film. And and I'm I'm alluding in particular to the scene when Saruman like chucks a fireball at him Mm -hmm. 
in the movie, right? Yeah. And that's that's of course exactly what doesn't happen in the book. Like that is that is the perfect <laughs> illustration of what doesn't happen in the book. There is indeed a magical confrontation. There is a confrontation of will between Gandalf and Saruman, and Gandalf wins, but it's utterly invisible. It's not inaudible. We hear them talking back and forth, but. There, there, there are no fireballs thrown. That's just not how Tolkien's magic works. It's, it's. There's, there are very few examples of fireball throwing magic in, um, in Tolkien's world, um, and the greatest confrontations of, of, of magical power are done. Uh, the very biggest are done through song, uh, but uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be kind of awesome? But I don't expect that to happen uh, <laughs> e- either. Uh, you know, there to be a big, uh, there to be a big choral sing-off between like uh, the voice. <laughs> it would be awesome, actually. You think uh, the, no, no, not like the by voice. CeeLo Green. No, it would be it would be like you know two choirs on either side. Uh, you know, it'd be more like the Battle of the Bands, except very different. Uh, two bands. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, nope. I think that that um, uh, Peter Jackson has established kind of his vocabulary in in, yeah. in translating that to the big screen, and and you know, for modern movie audiences, you probably need that. It's kind well, of the way so. that we tell things like this. Yeah. No, I mean exactly. I mean that's I was expecting that and I th- I mean I thought the, the you know the fireball was a little bit silly, but it does establish what's going on there and you need to establish it visually. Um you know you can't cuz because you can't get on a film what Tolkien does in the book which is to describe how every what everyone was thinking and feeling uh you know while they two of them were talking to each other and the images that were raised in their minds. I mean there's just there's no way to convey that on film. So okay, you chuck a fireball. The other, of course, the other big example that comes immediately to mind, of course, is the uh, is the exorcism of Denethor. Um, Denethor was under a spell, mm-hmm. but it, I mean, it wasn't like that, and his cleansing is not like it was done on screen. But I didn't, uh, I didn't, you know, when I saw the film, I didn't really. I was a little bit surprised by the way it went down, um, but I was. But you know, I thought that was fun. Again, I, I it was clearly uh, you know a way for them to dramatically help people to visualize the conflict that was actually happening. And there was a conflict of wills there. It was it was Wormtongue and and uh, Gandalf primarily, and not uh, and not Saruman directly. But anyway, it was fine. I mean, that's uh, so. I, so again, as you say, we can see him establish a kind of vocabulary for how that sort of thing is translated. And this, therefore, leads then to the bigger question of that conflict. When the White Council drives the necromancer out of Mirkwood, <clears throat> I think if Tolkien had depicted that conflict, it, it, like, it, I don't think there would have been anything to see, basically. <laughs> I mean, I think like we would have had them like sitting around in a room and uh, the necromancer sitting in another room and like – him leaving. I mean, just like it would not. I don't think it would have been much to watch. You know, um, I think in terms of 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 uh, the, p- the potential for visualizing this is is huge, and I I, I think it, Peter Jackson would be crazy not to depict this battle because it right. it, it, it will it will um, again it will show us for the first time if he chooses to depict this, and I, and if he does, I think it's going to be in the second movie. Um, it, it it will basically allow him to show. Gandalf, Galadriel, uh, perhaps even Elrond. I don't know exactly who is going to go there down down to Dol Guldur. Yes. 
but to show how powerful these these uh, these characters are and what the, what they can do. Plus, there might be different ways to I don't know manipulate the wind or the or animals or whatever is is out there to to to, to defeat or at least seemingly defeat uh, uh, Sauron um, with joined forces. I think symbolically that would be re- really interesting. Visually, it would be very very uh, uh, would would just. I think almost like a um, a wizard, uh, um, uh, kind of a wizard version of the Justice League or the uh, the right. Avengers, right. you know. <laughs> right, exactly. All these wizards have a certain, you know, you've got the the brown wizard, the gray wizard, the white wizard. Well, could that translate to the way in which they fight? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I certainly with uh, with Radagast, there's a lot of potential. I mean, you can see I mean, obviously, there 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 are going to be, uh, you know, Radagast's, you know, animal and bird allies coming in to fight and like that that one would expect. Right. I mean, there's certainly a lot of potential for that to be very cool on film. Well, it could make it, it would make for such a nice dramatic development. Where in in the first movie, we'll we'll, we'll kind of bit by bit start to discover what's going on in Dol Guldur, and uh, we we will see Gandalf going there and seeing the fears of the White Council confirmed, and then he gets back to the White Council. You've got this kind of debate going on, and 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 for some reason, Saruman doesn't really want to act, and then. At one point in the, in the second movie, they realize that they're, they have to do something. And so they all go down there. I, I can imagine that, that filmically you want to have a big kind of con- con- concluding battle at the end of the, of, of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because the return to the Shire is kind of really simple and not very spectacular. So you need a, right. a high point, I think, in the second movie. So what if we will see a, a crescendo of both? You know what's happening with the Battle of the Five Armies, and then at the same time, perhaps even intercut what's happening yeah. in Guldur with the White Council and 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 Sauron, and then the 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 conclusion of the Hobbit movies might be before, of course, we return to the Shire. Is that well? Hey, they chased Sauron, and we know that Saruman is now a good guy, and so the but we've also seen how 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 terribly dangerous the Necromancer is. That he is Sauron. That's, that's going to be another reveal. And so right. when, when we return to all these characters in the trilogy, we will have much more backstory and therefore much more, um, I don't know, admiration or anticipation as to, you know, what they're, what they're capable of. Yeah. No, I, I do agree that we're going to get some kind of conflict. I mean, I do think that that's that I, I cannot imagine him passing up that opportunity. And the number one reason that I disbelieve in the conflation, the the simple conflation of the struggle with the necromancer and the battle of Dol Guldur is that I think that the 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 character of those battles is going to be so different. Um, yes. As you say, you know, like the 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 full out, you know, wizard and elf queen battle um just, the whole tenor of that i think is going to be very different and and enables him to explore this the same kind of uh battle and good versus evil dynamics in a completely different visual environment and and in a completely different i just i i think it actually gives him opportunities that that he wouldn't be able to resist and shouldn't resist. Well, um, and intercutting intercutting this uh, uh, or intercutting the two battles could also help the movie because if you're just watching this massive battle of the five armies, um, you tend to 
kind of get bored after a while. You can only see right. that for for so many minutes. But if if at the same time something else is happening on a deeper level or you know on the wizard level, I think it would help tell the story of both these battles if you can kind of alternate between the two. So uh, right. are, does this mean are we are we are we heading in the direction of thinking that the um the confrontation between the White Council and Sauron will happen during will happen at the end of the second film during the Battle of Five Armies. I, I, I wonder if there's any proof in 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 what Tolkien writes that 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 could uh, invalidate that. Well, the number one thing is is Gandalf. Gandalf is at the Battle of Five Armies. So True. now, of yes. course, it's possible that he's not involved in the in the attack on Dol Guldur. And I mean, like, basically, you have to either uh, have true. Gandalf involved in both and he's like commuting or you've got to, <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 shoot, I'm late for my next cataclysmic battle. I've got to run. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, but at the same time, it, there would be a, a significant cost in not having him be there, too. Um, so that that that's the one thing, and I, it's hard for me to imagine Gandalf not being at the Battle of Five Armies. And um, what if what if they, in order to solve this, they would move the battle uh, in Dol Guldur uh, to, let's say, the, the kind of halfway through the movie? So you get this, right. these two uh, arcs, story arcs, where where the 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 first part just ends with the in culminates in in this in the the, the wizard battle at, at Dol Guldur, and then you know the the second half of the movie the the high point is going to be that battle of the five armies. So I mean I think that's an interesting that's an interesting point because I, I think it's worth pointing out just to remind ourselves that if they stuck to the strict chronology of the books. Mm-hmm. The battle at Dol Guldur would be happening at the end of the first film because um, yes. because by the time that they arrive in in Esgaroth in Lake Town, they mm-hmm. have this this uh, there's this um, right at the beginning of the the chapter of that in the book. Uh, they have this little brief paragraph where they talk about Gandalf and about how he's on his way, that he's yes. done his business with the necromancers oh, done, and he's on his way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That uh, could actually indicate that we're going to see it in the first movie. Yeah, that's what. I, yeah, I, that's what I'm wondering, and I'm wondering. I, so, I mean, it seems like if we go sort of on the 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 assumption that the simplest thing to do would be to do the, do it the way it is in the book, and that changing it's hard. So why wouldn't they just put it in the first film? The one concern I would have with that is is will people find it anticlimactic if if the if you know basically essentially the white council storyline is over by the end of the first film and there's no no more white council storyline and it won't people be like but wait that's the real bad guy <laughs> well, and right. in particular in, in in particular since as we were talking about last time if they do in fact do the split post barrel ride um then good and we were talking that leaves an enormous amount of Hobbit journey plot for the first film. The first film yeah. um, so to say we're going to do that and like at least 90% of the White Council plot in the first film, I mean, the idea of them doing that much of the Hobbit story going all the way basically through the end of chapter nine of the book in the first film, um, that by itself to me almost suggests that we're going to see the bulk of the white council stuff in the second film and the stuff in the trailer could be taken to support that idea since we only get a couple 
glimpses of White Council stuff, nothing yeah. cataclysmic, and all of it seeming to be preparatory. That is like, as you know, yes. Father Roderick, as you were saying, like worried conversations. Well, and that would be, I think, dramatically much more interesting to kind of build it up in the first movie where we, we, we start to realize, oh, wait a minute, there's something go- uh, else going on. And it's not just a dragon. Um, right. And I think one way to solve this, of course, is via the very simple uh, narrative device of uh, a flashback where Gandalf and, – and that's right. actually how it works in Tolkien. It's, uh, we hear right. afterwards it kind of in the last chapter that, oh, yeah, right. well, Gandalf was doing this fight against the necromancer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So right. I could just yeah, see yeah. that do that. Possibly, possibly. Though I was just I'm laughing at the prospect of of thinking of like if they were to do it, how silly it would look on film if they did it exactly the same way. We have the Battle of Five Armies. Everything is fine. We're riding back to the Shire, and oh, by the way, another climactic (laughs) battle and flashback. Like that that would that would be that would be really silly. Um, But but yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a little hard for me to see if if as the trailer seems to me to suggest, they're really going to be doing the White Council stuff as an alternate story if they're going to be cutting back and forth from white council stuff to dwarf and hobbit journey stuff um in in a way which is any way similar to how they were cutting back and forth between you know mordor and gondor in the lord of the rings if if they are going to handle the two stories like that in the films then it i I, then i I would I, i would not think that they could do the battle in flashback form it would have to be at least parallel if not simultaneous or even, as we were saying, even potentially conflated, that would be – because, of course, that's the other way hmm. – that's, that's the other attraction to the conflation thing. As, 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 as much disincentive as there is in other ways, th- that's the one that's, – that's the simplest way to get Gandalf in both places at the same time. Is to make them both yeah, happen at the same place. Don't, at the same I don't. I think that they respect Tolkien too much to do that because it would really change something that Tolkien himself described. I mean, it's different from taking use of the the vagueness in uh, as to you know the chronology of certain events and then kind of fill it in in a movie. But then this would really change the timeline, and I, I don't I don't know if they want to go there. I, I'd be upset, <laughs> especially yeah. because yeah. there must be other ways to do this. But I. Right. I, I, I I do agree that 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 you you we we all we know from the trailer that that Gandalf will go to Dol Guldur, so we have lots of gold Dol Guldur stuff already happening right. there with you know the kind of the Gandalf almost acting as a detective trying to figure out what's going on and a bit by bit, so he has to return to the White Council uh, and and report. We need to see that that struggle between him and and Saruman and and and, and Galadriel. So, yeah, adding a battle to that, it would be too much. It would be overcharging yeah. the first movie. I, I think so. – I, I, I do think it would. I think that – uh, yeah. Start the second movie with the battle and do it straight away. You know, instead of us we, – we leave the, the, the company with their arrival in Lake Town or just before their arrival in Lake Town. Yeah. And the second movie starts with this epic battle that immediately wakes us up and, and acts almost like the, 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 the James Bond action scene device. You right. Know? right, right. <gasps> What's happening? And then we could back to the, to the company. You know, I love that idea. And that would leave Gandalf plenty of time. If they're just arriving at Lake Town, um, then 
you know, we, it, it would be the easiest thing in the world to protract their stay at Lake Town a little bit, or at least by implication protract it. Um, and then there's still all the time of them going up and being on the mountain, and then Smaug is dead, and then the armies yeah. are in the field, and then it's two weeks later. So, I mean, the, 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 there's there's plenty of time, especially since Gandalf can apparently, as we saw in the Fellowship of the Ring film, travel enormous distances in almost no time. Um, you know, like he, he pops off to Gondor for the weekend, for instance, to do a little light research. <laughs> and uh, Anyway, so that's uh, you know, yeah, I think I think getting getting Gandalf up north after a, 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 an, an early in the film or opening of the film battle would be would be trivial. So yeah, no, I, that that I think could work, especially since that's so packed. I mean, the time of Bilbo and the dwarves in Lake Town and on the mountain and with Smaug and the battle with Smaug, that would be so much film time that Gandalf showing up would not at all seem sudden. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean I th- that, that that I think is very appealing. But we should probably get to our actual prediction now, as I'm swiftly <laughs> running out of time. Um, yes. But and, uh, and I think yeah. I think this this conversation is is nicely segueing us into it because I I, I certainly am feeling um, I am feeling uh, well looking at our choices now I'm not so sure I'm feeling inevitably pulled toward <laughs> one. But but I, I've certainly I, I'm I'm thinking that we're gonna get something that's going to minimize screen time. I, I don't think we're gonna get a forty five okay. minute I don't right. think so we're gonna this is not gonna be we're, we're, we're gonna start the film with the Battle of Helms Deep and then end with the with the Battle of Five Armies basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't think we're gonna start the film with a forty five minute battle and the the movie with a forty five minute battle and have like half an hour of dialogue in between with the <laughs> right. dragon. Including Smaug and the death of Smaug yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's going to be an action-packed film. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> so, uh, okay, so prediction. Uh, this regards how – what will the film adaptation of the conflict between the White Council and Necromancer be? How, how is this conflict going to be portrayed on screen in the theatrical edition? Are, are you are, – are, um, Always our disclaimer, on screen, in the theatrical edition. I'm sure there's plenty of opportunity to film like two hours worth of content and stick it into the special features. But what's going to make it to to the theaters? Um, So uh, here are our options, which uh, maybe we'll jigger these a little bit. Uh, Option A is immaterial spiritual conflict from a distance. So I'm guessing we're interpreting this not as... Like Magic. Tolkien style, like the way that Tolkien depicts the conflict between Gandalf and Saruman at Orthanc. Like nothing visual happen. Right. This would be like the complete purist. Into, like, you know, we'll see, I don't know what, the White Council gathering around a table, holding hands and concentrating. And, you know, and sat, we'll go back and forth to like Sauron, who may or may not appear like a fiery eyeball. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and then like, you know, something snaps and it goes so yeah no no light flashes no fireballs no troops on the ground just uh you know like one group of people gathering their wills and exerting their wills against another actually i think the way to explain this one is this is the mark fisher answer (laughs) (laughs) we give mark such a hard time it's not quite fair but (laughs) so okay so there's that uh B is is epic battle sequence. That's the we'll call that the Battle of the Hornburg or well, I guess in the film yeah. it was Battle of Helm's Deep option. Yes. Um C would be direct physical magical conflict between principles only. So it won't be armies uh, hacking at each other with swords, but rather Saruman f- f- shooting fireballs at Sauron and vice versa. Right. Similar to the Gandalf Saruman con- uh, confrontation in Fellowship. 
And then uh, option D is no direct conflict at all. So this is like what they they arrive at Dol Golder and he's gone already. Yeah, like because because you know I I think I, I kind of think D a little bit unlikely, but it's it's a theoretical option basically that I don't we know, have man. the withdrawal. <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I'm I'm sort of uh, I'm kind of leaning in that direction of of a big buildup and then a uh, and then a um, uh, sort of a deflation when they get there and like oh Sauron ran away, right? And that's when they discover the truth, so that the dramatic moment could be not a conflict and a victory, but the discovery of the awful truth. This was actually Sauron, and now he's returned to Mordor and is setting himself up and building Baradur again. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So Good. okay. So the, Good so, that. so those are our options to review. How's that? What's the film adaptation of the conflict between the White Council and the Necromancer going to be? Uh, a immaterial spiritual, you know, book purist, um, immaterial spiritual conflict from a distance. Uh, option B is Peter Jackson style epic battle. C is um, Peter Jackson style magical one on one conflict. And uh, D is uh, no conflict at all, uh, or at least no, no, uh, maybe, maybe a lot of buildup, maybe even an army marching on Dol Goldor, but no actual um, meeting of, of two forces. One, one, uh, one sort of caveat or clarification that I would give to option C, that is the direct conflict between principles, direct and sort of visual magical conflict between principles, I would count uh radagast animal friends still being in this category yes. like if radagast is there <laughs> yeah. and he summons up like a you know a, a flock of birds or a you know an army of rats or whatever it uh, I, I don't know it could be awesome but anyway if that what i would consider as part of like radagast as principal that would be like the equivalent of saruman throwing a fireball in my in in my book it wouldn't count as armies in the field if it's just radagast's animal friends Yes, that way I, I would I would I would offer that as a uh, a sort of amendment to, or clarification of that of that category. <laughs> <laughs> Radagast's animal friends are an extension just, of himself. I'm just like 100 percent convinced we're going to see Radagast's animal friends. I mean, I think there's there's yeah. like almost no chance that that's not so, going to happen. So so. I want, so I just wanted to add that there's one there's a person in the chat room, Elvish Mouse, who said. Well, I feel like B is most likely, then C, then A, but part of me wants to see A. D is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> commit, Elizabeth. Commit. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, I have to run to class in about 30 seconds. So, so right. I'll get my prediction. I'll get your prediction, um, and then uh, Father Roderick and I'll close out the episode. <laughs> yeah, we probably should do that. Um, uh, I am going to go with C, the direct clash between principles. Fireballs um, and uh, Radagast the Browns' friends. Yeah, and I like uh, and 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 in in part here, I think uh, Father Roderick, I'm inspired by by your Avengers uh, comparison. I think that uh, the idea of having um, not at the head of an army, but having the White Council basically show up in person as this yeah. kind of Justice League, uh, you know, we're showing up in person to whoop the Necromancer. That's really appealing, uh, and I. Yeah, and I've got one non-literary uh, argument for this as well, or extra reason why they would do this. Hobbit action figures. 
<laughs> I will say no more. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That is a decisively non-literary argument for this. I agree. Uh, but yes, yes, yeah. No, exactly. So yeah, so so and and of course, if Sauron fields an army against them, but they don't field an army against him, that doesn't count as B. You know, if it's if it's them, you know, like if it's if it's the, if it's the White Council Justice League showing up and kicking the butt of Sauron and his whole army, it still counts as C. <laughs> as yes. long as there's not, there have to be two armies in the field uh that, that which are not radagast animal friends in order for me to be true <laughs> what if what if if legolas happens to be there does that count as an army yeah absolutely if legolas is there it's automatically b <laughs> mm. i think i think really without question yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely <laughs> or toriel either one either one <laughs> okay. Oh, that may, that complicates this for me. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I should run, uh, but uh, it, it, I will. Uh, it was this was uh, this was this was very much fun. We'll have to. We'll definitely have to do this again, Father Roderick. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I am very keen to hear what Dave finally commits to. He always waffles about these things, but I'll be very interested <laughs> to hear what Dave finally commits to, uh, and to hear about your final prediction. I will, I will, I will get briefed on that later. But I should dash off to class now. All right. Well, have fun, Corey. Father Roderick and I will take it from here. All right. Thanks very much. Bye, everybody. Bye. <clears throat> All right. Uh, would you like to go next, Father, or shall I? Well. Let me let me give it a try. Um, I right. I definitely um, the the now that we've been talking and and kind of weighing the various uh, options, I'm I'm tending towards uh, a battle at the start of the second movie, mm-hmm. where it will be um, the main wizards or the the members of the White Council uh, going to Dol Guldur, uh, perhaps being surprised by uh, the the. Kind of the for, for perhaps when they go there, they're not certain what they will uncover there. Uh, I mean, they they are probably um, going there because of the, the the report that Gandalf gives them after his visit in in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And so, I I don't think that we will see much of you know how serious the 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 the, the threat is in uh, in Dol Guldur, and so that could explain why they won't mount an entire army to go there because that's something that they will probably just realize when they are on location they know that something is going on and uh that that the necromancer is is, is involved but the uh, i don't see them you know mounting up uh, mounting an entire army uh, and march down uh, and i'm also thinking that because if if they would then i'd almost expect uh, uh tolkien to have written a little bit more about it um, so that's why I'm thinking it's it's just going to be the core group. However, that last remark of Corey made me think, uh, you know, the Legolas and Toriel. I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually part of that expedition. And because, of course, we know that Elrond is, is also part of the White Council, isn't he? At least that's that's what I think. Yes, Elrond is a part of the White Council. Elrond, so, Galadriel, um, the three wizards, and then some other elves whose names escape me and who are not mentioned with any uh, regularity in the books. Right. So, what if what if um, what if Elrond decides to join them in that expedition, and somehow the word gets to the elves in Mirkwood, and um, you know, Legolas and, and Tariel 
also decide to, you know, help help out or <laughs> accompany Elrond. I- to me, it seems highly unlikely that Legolas will not be in that scene. I, I, well, especially, especially because we know that he, 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 his role will, will be substantial. Yes. And, and, and we know from uh, Evangeline Lilly, she says that, you know, most of her, her role is going to be in the second movie and it's much more demanding than she thought it would be. So I'm thinking demanding, uh, physically demanding because as an actress, you know, she wouldn't really, care much about some extra dialogue yeah. but if if it's a physical role if it involves fighting if it involves special effects if it involves flying through the air on you know in in all sorts of diff- difficult wires uh then you know doing the kung fu fighting <laughs> that that would count for me as being demanding so uh, i'm i'm thinking of not really an army Going there, but but I think Elrond and Legolas and Tariel and perhaps some a few other elves, but just a small company, but an extended company, not just the the you know four wizards, but a, a, a slightly kind of a small expedition group, um, and then realizing what's really going on, then this big battle between uh, the necromancer, aka. Sauron and, uh, and, and these, these wizards, uh, kind of X-Men slash Avengers style, uh, that would totally work for me. So, but if, if it's true that that will automatically make it B, then I, mm, I'm just like, I, I, dis- I disagree with Corey. I don't think Legolas counts as an army. I think he counts as an Avenger. Yeah, me too. Or at least like the, you know, the, what Robin is to Batman, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, he, Legolas and Tariel both, the, those sort of prominent named characters played by famous actors, they all count as superheroes. I think so too. And I, 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 I don't expect a huge army of elves or, you know, or orcs on the other side. Uh, I think this is going to be a battle of the, of the superheroes. Um, at least that, that would make sense and it would set it apart from what happens at the end of the movie and you would not get that fatigue of, oh, yet another big battle because it would, it would, it would leave the, the battle of five armies to be what it is, which is a big, you know, massive battle scene reminiscent of what we've seen in, in the Lord of the Rings. And it would, uh, it, it would still create a very nice, dis- very distinct action moment at the beginning of the second movie to uh, kind of plunge us straight into the overarching, you know, epic uh, story that is being told. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, that would make you C, right? I think C, yes. yes. Okay. C with Legolas and, uh, yeah. and Torio. Yeah, we're, I, think, I think what we're, we're getting to, uh, we're, I'm, I'm modifying the answers a little bit just to say that A is basically that there'll be sort of an insubstantial conflict. B is epic battle sequence. C is, um, is, is the emphasis there is on the fact that on the good side, the only people who show up to fight are uh, the the uh, the Avengers, <laughs> <laughs> and and maybe maybe a few additional people. Maybe there's a small band of of, of um, uh, elves from Lothlorien or something. Right. But but basically not an army. Mm-hmm. So so okay. C uh, and I am going to choose D. I mm-hmm. I'm going with. I think they're going to show up. And I think that they're going to find that Sauron's gone and there's not going to be a battle. <laughs> huh. And why would you choose that? <laughs> well, in part because – in part because uh, because I like I like being contrary. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's what uh, I guess. 
and um uh also just because i think um i think that could be that's sort of a way to resolve the um the tension between um uh like i think that's a way to resolve this tension that we're getting at which is that they need to build something up they need it to be dramatic they they really do want to play out and exercise this white council storyline uh, but that it's really going to be – it's hard to fit it in in terms of time. I, they certainly – I think I think we, we all seem to agree that it, there's no room for it in the first film if the split is where we expect it to be. And there's this worry that, that, that it that it could overshadow the, um, uh, the, the, the later Battle of Five Armies um, and that uh, – uh, uh, in that you know, and as well as Smaug, the, you know, that the main Hobbit storyline could be overshadowed by it. So I think one way to do that is basically have it be kind of almost left unresolved. They, you know, they we build it up. This is a, a major area of you know, a, a, a kind of a major storyline of the first film. That you know, that this this necromancer guy's evil. Maybe I don't. I'm kind of curious to see. We know that the White Council at this point in the story knows who the Necromancer really is. They know that it's actually Sauron. Um, I, I think we're sort of left to, to infer that they aren't telling anyone yet since Gandalf doesn't mention this fact to the dwarves. But um, anyway, uh, we I think we know that they know. So I'm curious to see if this will be revealed in the film or if Peter Jackson's going to make this a reveal to the audience, You know that he's going to refer to him as the Necromancer throughout the story and then – Right at the end, either in during a battle or or if my prediction's right, no battle. That that's where they'll say it was Sauron all along. I'm curious <laughs> to see that, but I think one way that you could you could handle this and resolve the tension between the desire to build up the storyline and also the the time issue and the overshadowing issue is have have the battle end up not happening, have Sauron escape and make that a dramatic moment that it's like oh no he got away to do evil another day, and one possibility is if we bring this back to Benedict Cumberbatch's comments is maybe Sauron will escape and he will escape to the Battle of Five Armies and show up there. So hmm. I don't hmm. know, but I'm, I've decided to go out on a limb and guess uh, D. No, That'd be interesting. No, no battle yeah. at all. <laughs> no conflict. <laughs> no confrontation. By the way, I'm starting to doubt now whether Legolas and, and Toriel will be will be part of the of the expedition to uh, to get rid of Sauron because I, I really think I think Le- I'm not sure Toriel will be there, but I'm convinced Legolas will be there just because uh, Toriel. It's clear where she fits into the main hobby story yeah. Hobbit storyline. I th- think she's going to be in the dungeons where the dwarves are captured, and and so I suspect she'll be a part of the army. But then her bigger role in the second movie. Will be the, the Battle of Five Armies. The Battle of Five Armies, yeah. yeah. That's or, kind of what Or even um, she could be at key scenes. So like the scene where Bilbo hands the Arkenstone over to the, the Elven King and Bard. Mm-hmm. Maybe she'll yeah. be standing there next to him. Well, but that hardly counts as a, a demanding role. <laughs> okay, good point. But yeah, I think Battle of Five Armies could be it. But Legolas, yeah. I think – in sort of my feeling is one way to in, to in, to use him in this in these films without having him overshadow the Hobbit characters is to um, is to have him be involved in the White Council storyline more. But we could we could see him in Mirkwood as well while the you yes, know the company is, is captured and and so we could we could he could have a, a kind of a he might be teaming up with Toriel for for all we know yes. and uh, and show up at the end of the battle. 
uh, of five armies and uh, because uh, uh, Inge in the chat room makes a makes a good point um, you know wouldn't be much of a secret council if, if word arrives in Mirkwood about what they're going to do in Dol Guldur so that makes sense unless there is some kind of a Mirkwood uh, representative part of the of the wide council because we know you know Tolkien infers that there are more members than he actually names. He doesn't give us the entire list. So there could be a, a, a Mirkwood delegate or something. Although, you know, we have no proof. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm sticking with C. <laughs> good. I, I'm glad you are. I, I want everyone to, I, I'm, yeah, as Corey will say, I'm, I'm a big fan of widespread disagreement and debate. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping Mark Fisher picks A again. Let's double check. Yeah, he has he has yet to pick anything other than A. So I'm hoping he'll go with yeah. They'll do it true to the book, um, and uh, at least some people will will believe that there'll be a Helm's Deep style battle. So cool. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess probably we should wrap this thing up. Um, but uh, thank you very much for joining us, Father Roderick. Um, it's totally my pleasure. We were so excited to have you on when we decided. I mean, actually, when we first set out to do this podcast, we're like, well, obviously, we will have to uh, get Father Roderick involved, not just as a, a, you know, to do predictions in the game, but we have to have him on on occasion because you're like, I don't know, you're just so insightful on the uh, on the films. You have a really good intuition about how things will happen, and you seem to have a window into Peter Jackson's mind. Well, the, the the proof is in the pudding. I might be just completely yes. <laughs> making this stuff up, and it, yes. it, it's totally wrong. But whenever you whenever you state your opinions, <laughs> we're always like, "Oh man, that's pretty good." Boy. Well, I hope it, it kind of uh, it stimulates the the, the 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 whole thought press process around this. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep, it definitely does. Um, so. Uh, very briefly, do you want to tell us where uh, Corey's listeners can find out more about you? Yeah, well, the the both of us, of course, uh, host this almost always weekly show about yes. uh, the Hobbit production, and and we do talk about plot elements as well. Um, and people can find that at thehobbit.sqpn.com. So thehobbit.sqpn.com, or you can just look for Secrets of the Hobbit in uh, in iTunes, um, and that will also bring you to that particular uh, podcast series. But I do host a lot of other shows, as you mentioned at the beginning. Uh, you know, Secrets of Many podcasts or secrets of many topics and all that and more can be found at the uh, website of the StarQuest Production Network uh, which people can find at sqpn.com so sqpn.com and if uh, also if you look for sqpn in the iTunes store it will give you an overview of all our podcasts mm-hmm. and so we've got shows about uh, about uh, Harry Potter about Star Trek about uh, um, Middle Earth, uh, you know, the, we, we have a show where we walk around in, um, in Middle Earth as it is presented to us in the game Lord of the Rings Online. That's a, that's a very fun podcast to, to make as well. Yep. And, uh, cool. Um, and I definitely encourage listeners to check out Secrets of the Hobbit. Uh, that's a, that's an, a wonderful podcast and we have a great time and it's very similar in character to this. If you, if you enjoyed this, you'll definitely enjoy Secrets of the Hobbit. Um, and, uh, and our Twitter account, is um, it's Hobbit podcast, right? Yeah, Hobbit podcast. Yeah. So people, when you're when you're tweeting your comments and ideas and predictions and thoughts about the Hobbit, in addition to including Tolkien Prof and uh, and also me, uh, include S- include Hobbit podcast as well, um, so you can get the broaden the conversation. 
Um, so uh, I also wanted to point out to Corey's listeners um, is in the chat room today we had a whole bunch of people listening live, and one of them is Alorio, and she's from the um, uh, Warriors of the Westfold podcast, which uh, airs on Middle Earth Network Radio on Fridays at, I believe, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. If I'm incorrect, please correct me, Alorio. Uh, and they also are participating in our prediction game. So that's another good opportunity to go and hear people talk about these questions and predictions and get a different take on things. So definitely want people to check that out as well. Um, and uh, keep an eye on these these episodes are going to be released. Um, if you're listening live right now, they'll be released hopefully in the next couple of days. And there'll be a new Digest episode out, I hope, over the weekend. Um, and uh, let's see, what else? Any other news? And, and go and, and keep an eye on the MythGuard website where uh, we do the posts about these and join in the conversation there and also on the Tolkien Professor and MythGuard Facebook pages. So um, I guess that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed this special uh, two-part series on the split and today's uh, special extra-long episode with our special guest, Father Roderick. Thank you for joining us, Father Roderick. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And to you, our listeners, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.